It is good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. You turn your Bibles tonight to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 8. The first four verses and the first part of this next thought, which is our new life. That life that we now live in the Spirit. That life that's been enabled by the forgiveness that we now rest in and walk in. That new life that's been created in us and for us through the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ. Our new life. The whole book of Romans up to this point, for the most part, has really focused in on that incredible work of salvation. And as it began in chapter 1, I think we need to be reminded uh, very often, frequently, I know I need to be reminded of from whence I have come, what the Lord has done in my life, and what he continues to do to present me faultless before his throne of grace. Remember, as Christians, we are still sinners who are saved by grace. We're still sinners, family. Uh, The whole case that the apostle has just made in chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Those things which I will to do, those things I do not do, and those things which I will not to do, those things I do. The, The picture is one that Even as believers, our lives are still marked at times by what we would call failures, foibles, faults. Our lives are far from perfect, amen? But we are forgiven, and we are redeemed, and we have been cleansed, and one day, in full and complete totality of being exactly like the Lord, We're going to be presented home in heaven. That's the glorious good news. Amen? You you see, sometimes we forget what we've been saved from. And when we forget, we begin to walk around and we allow the enemy to get into our head and the enemy taking advantage of those thoughts that somehow... Some way, you might be able to kind of earn God's favor. You you see, when you get there, you kind of all of a sudden are open to the thought, maybe the Lord's not actually pleased with me. Maybe you begin to suffer from condemnation. And so as the Apostle Paul now begins chapter 8 and verse 1, Probably the most encouraging book and the most encouraging verse in that most encouraging book is found right here, verse 1, Romans chapter 8. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this truth. Thank you for who we are in Jesus. Thank you for who we are because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for who we are because you first sought us, Father God. We pray that you would bless us, that you would give us understanding of your word, the inerrant word of God, 
would sink deep into the very core of our being, that we would not just know these words because we remembered them, but they would be our life. Bless us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Romans 8. There is therefore. Remember, therefore is always look backwards. It's pointing to what we already know. And we'll look at that in a moment. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. There is, how much condemnation is there? None. Zero. Zip. Nada. Not a bit. There is no condemnation. The inference is this. You can no longer be condemned. You're beyond the reach of condemnation. So great is the grace of God that you've been placed in a place that the condemnation that would have come to you without God, without Christ's sacrifice, can't even find you. You're beyond the touch of condemnation. So don't walk in it. Who do not walk according to the flesh. And that phrase is not found in the best manuscripts of this passage. But as it is spoken there, it implies a condition that's not true. There is no condition to you being without condemnation. You're without condemnation because the grace of God that's come to you by faith has redeemed you. The price was paid at Calvary. You've been justified before a holy God because of the sacrifice of Christ. There is no amount of your walking that can ever square away your debt. Your debt was squared away by Christ alone. But the result of that is you'll walk in it. That's why the person who has no holiness visible in their life should be concerned. That's why the person who thinks not that sin is an issue should be concerned. That's why the person who continually walks in disobedient rebellion to God should be concerned. Because the inference really is, is that because you're saved, you will walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Now, maybe not completely, maybe not in totality, and certainly not in perfection. But you will care when you sin. And you will care about being right with God. And to that end, you will walk the right direction. So you do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, it's really only the Spirit that can help us walk that way. Amen? Because in my flesh still dwells no good thing. In me still, I have the capacity to sin. In me, I still think things that I shouldn't think. My mind goes places it shouldn't go. But praise God, by the Spirit I'm drawn back to the truth of God's Word. And I don't linger over those areas of sin. The Spirit enables me to live victorious over those sinful areas that once held us in bondage. We've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Amen? It's a truth we've already seen. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen? You see, the law of the Spirit has freed us from the old law. The old law, we were condemned. Amen? We just looked at this. We were so toast. 
Our lives were absolutely incapable of pleasing God, so much so that even our attempts at righteousness were an abomination to God. The righteousness of man has become unto God as filthy rags. Things that we would throw away, considered trash. Paul goes to the extreme of saying these things. I count all these things loss, but refuse for the excellency of Christ. You see, the life that we used to live was a life of trash. And it was a life that was sin. And as we saw in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. The just payment for our old life was death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. We were walking away from God. We cared not for the things of God. And so God, in his perfect justice, was absolutely correct in his assessment. And so he pronounced us guilty and said, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we now walk in that truth. We're found in him. For what the law, verse 3 says, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, our flesh is weak. It's still weak. It's going to stay weak. Now, praise God, that weak flesh is under the subjection of the work of the Spirit. So that which we used to be held in bondage by, we're no longer held in bondage by. But that weak flesh is still there. We're still attracted to things that we should not be attracted to. And so that weakness is now under the subjection of the work of the Spirit. It was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. You see, Jesus did what we couldn't do. Jesus was what we still aren't fully. Jesus was perfect where we are imperfect. Jesus was God, and we are not. So God sends his own son into the world, that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Amen. And so he comes in the likeness of that sinful flesh. 100%. Jesus was flesh. But also 100%. You see, our mathematical minds don't allow us to say, well, how can something be 100% of one thing and 100% of something else? Because to that, we, we would say that's 200%. You can't be that. But Jesus was fully God and at the same time, fully man flesh. He lacked nothing in his humanity and he lacked nothing as God. And so his sinful flesh came in our likeness to pay the price. God, perfect in human flesh, died on Calvary's cross for you and for me. Paying the price because it took perfection, dying for imperfection to pay the price that was owed. You couldn't have imperfection dying for imperfection. That wouldn't take care of the debt. So God incarnate in human flesh... The reason that one of Jesus' names was Emmanuel, God with us, was he was God, who was man, who was here, and who did die. Incredible depth of the truth found in these four verses.
And on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Your sin, every last bit of it, was heaped on the back of Jesus. Every sin in your past, every sin in your present, and here's the really good news, every sin you will ever commit until you take your last breath was nailed to Calvary's cross on Christ. And it pleased God the Father to do that. He looked on his son and he said, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Sacrifice accepted. The power of this passage to set you free is staggering. If you're one of those people that have found a tough time trying to see how God could approve of you, Read these verses until your eyes can no longer see straight. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, your new life fully described. You see, in the sense that Jesus The perfect God-man died on Calvary's cross. He died and killed your sin and my sin. And to all who call upon the name of the Lord who shall be saved because they do so. No one left out. Nobody beyond that reach. No one so sinful as they could not be saved. Name a single person who's ever lived, and no matter what the magnitude of their sin has ever been, the power of the cross of Christ would have been sufficient to save them had they only repented of their sin and called upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Because that includes some people that you would probably say there's no way he could ever be saved. And you know what? Your name would be in that list. There's no way you could ever be saved if it was on you. You you see, we we throw out names like Hitler and Stalin, maybe Saddam Hussein, Richard Ramirez, Ted Bundy. You know, we throw all those names out. And we say, no way is the grace of God covering that. Brothers and sisters, the grace of God is capable, it is effective, and absolutely was powerful enough to save even Adolf Hitler. Now, he did not cry out, and he did not ask for forgiveness, and thereby he was not saved. But the power was there in the blood to do it if he had simply asked. Amen? Amen? You need to grab that and remember it because here's where it helps you. When the enemy comes to condemn you, that's how great the grace of God is. So I'm pretty sure all of you are a little better than Adolf Hitler. Amen? Just thinking. And you have cried out. And you have asked. And you've said to the Lord... I submit myself to your tender care and to your grace, and I am believing by faith that I'm one of your kids. And because of that, 
the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Amen? You will one day stand faultless. Think on this. Because you know your faults, don't you? If you don't, think harder. You know your faults. You know your weaknesses. You know the stuff that you've never told anybody. Give you a little secret. God knows it too. But one day you're going to stand at the Bema seat of Christ to receive the reward for what you've done in this body. Now for some of us that may be a little more than others. But you're going to be able to stand before a righteous, holy God because of what Christ did for you. That's why there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is your, this is your freedom song, folks. This, this is our declaration of freedom. January 6th of 1941, then President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the joint session of Congress on the state of the war in Europe. And probably none of you have actually ever even seen the text of that speech. The words in that sense were forgotten. But at the close of his address, he said this. He said, to a world founded upon four essential freedoms. And then he went on to name them. He said the freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom of want, and the freedom from fear. That was the whole goal, in essence, as we entered in as a country, World War II, was to establish freedom in the world. It wasn't a fight for territory. The United States of America gained zero ground. We didn't get anything from World War II except massive debt and the death of 485,000 of our best and brightest. But we did preserve freedom. Now imagine how much infinitely greater the freedom is that was purchased for us at the cross of Christ. As great as that sacrifice was, there's a reason we call those veterans uh, our, our greatest American generation. How much more freedom do we have in Christ? why Paul would write to the church at Corinth there in 2 Corinthians and say this in verse 17 where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom when you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb you've been completely set free so that you cannot be condemned ever again and it's not a transaction that rests on your performance Please understand what I mean when I say that. There is nothing on your part that either saved you in the first place or keeps you saved. It rests squarely on the merits of the sacrifice made by Jesus Christ. It is received by you through faith. It has nothing to do with you keeping anything. You are saved, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are made right by the blood of the Lamb, and there is no other thing that must be either done to begin with 
or done to keep it. Hallelujah. Amen. Because you know what would happen to me? The moment I get saved, if it was on me, I'd figure out a way to get unsaved really fast. I'd figure out some way that I could transgress the law of God and get away with it. Because in me still dwells no good thing. It's like, okay, I'm saved by grace. I can do whatever I want. You see, the Bible reveals that since the fall, every human being has that same problem. It doesn't leave anybody beyond that. It doesn't say that there's a group of people that were so good and so righteous. If there was one, the Apostle Paul might have been in that category. He even said of himself, as pertaining to the law, faultless. Now, the fact that he said that probably made him a liar. So, you know, he wasn't faultless. But in practical righteousness, he did everything he could to live that way live righteously. And he was still unable to fulfill the righteous demands of the law. And so because of that sin, because we used to be under the control of the prince of the power of the air, working in the sons that we were of disobedience, the daughters that we were of disobedience there in Ephesians 2, because we were that way, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there was no way that we could make ourselves alive. And so Christ did it for us. He steps into time. The time that he created in the beginning. You see, before the beginning, Father God, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed outside of space and time. And so our Bibles begin with, in the beginning. That means that there was a beginning to the beginning. Eternal Jesus steps into time 2,000 years ago to pay the price for our sin. Because mankind to that time was not doing a real good job of being righteous. Amen? So much so that a period of time before Christ was here by some 1,500 years, the Lord says, look, I've had enough. The world is continually evil. We need to do something about this. Mankind is reduced to eight people in the ark. Isn't it amazing that from Adam and Eve, the line of Cain and Abel, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Seth, out of all of those people that were born, God said, I'm going to take the righteous ones, I'm going to save them. There's eight of them. Eight. Eight people got in the ark. And out of the eight people, we didn't get one righteous person on the other side of the ark. God reduces down mankind from whatever it was to eight. They step off the ark. They've watched God get severely upset about sin. Amen? like, look, I don't know what to do with y'all, but you won't quit doing this. I'm going to take care of this. And what do we do? Within one generation, Noah's walking around as a nudist (laughs) and a drunk. 
His kids are walking backwards to cover up his sin. One generation removed. How bad do you think the sin problem is that indwells humankind? That you could see the power of God as God wipes out the earth, allows eight people to survive, they begin to have children, and not one of them learned how to be righteous. Here's why. Because you can't learn how to be righteous. It's not possible. It's not an intellectual understanding. It's not even a practical application because without faith it's impossible to please God. The plain teaching of Scripture. There in Hebrews 11, you can't do it. And so God shows us the futility of trying to work these things out. God is perfectly just and condemning us still. Perfectly just. If God were to step into this, let's just say for a moment, we could actually be before God. We can't. Scripture says if we see God, we'll die. Because he's perfectly righteous and we're not. We just evaporate. But let's say for a moment he could. If he came into this room tonight, there's none of us that are going to survive that encounter. He would be perfectly just in barbecuing every last one of us. All that would be left in here is little piles of dust everywhere. His glory would reduce us to ash. And he'd be perfectly just doing it still. But here's the good news. Because you have been shadowed from the wrath of God, which rightly we have earned, because the wages of sin is death. Amen? But you've been shadowed from that. And so between you and the holy God that has every right to wipe us out, stands Jesus in perfection. He says, I paid for those sins. I took care of them. They've been blotted out. You can't hold them accountable for those. Not their past sins, not their present sins, nor can you hold them accountable for their future sins. You have been completely removed from the capacity of sin to ever condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amazing. Three things that we should remember. Look, God is justified. Because we're all related to Adam. Transgression of one we saw back in chapter 5. Through that death has reigned. We need Christ. A second thing God has justified in condemning us. Because every last one of us still has an evil nature. And no matter how much you try and defend the fact that maybe you're the only evil one, unevil one on earth. I'm pretty sure we're going to find out when we get down to the nuts and bolts, the little tidbits and parts of your life, that you are E-I-V-I-A. You're evil. <laughs> You'd be going, ah, ah, ah. You'd be trying to justify it. Well, that's not evil. Well, yeah, it is, according to the righteousness of God. So God would be justified in wiping us out. But he doesn't. He'd also be justified for the proof that is in our life. The actual things we do. It's not just what we think. It's not just where our heart's at. It's not that we were just born in Adam and thereby 
But what you actually do, if you really think about it, not pleasing to God sometimes. Some more than others. But all of us fall short of that glory. And so to that end, we would be condemned. And look, God's perfectly correct in that assessment. Perfectly just in that assessment. Perfectly, absolutely spot on when he says, Jeff Gill is guilty. That's why I need Jesus. Because there's no other way for me to take care of that. I am depraved. I I, I absolutely need his mighty hand to rest on me. I am rebellious and so are you. Maybe it's possible for us to, you know, kind of keep our act squared away for a while. But in spite of that guilt, we have this incredible promise and four things that really stand out in it. As the Holy Spirit works in you, that's our consolation, that's our joy, that's our hope. I'm not going to get what I've earned. That's God being merciful. Mercy's over here and grace is over here. In God's mercy, He's not going to give me the wages of sin, which is death. I still have earned that. But He's not going to give it to me. Instead, I get His mercy. But what he is going to do is give me what I can't earn, what I haven't earned, what I can never earn, which is his grace, which is over here. That unmerited favor that says, you're one of my kids. I love you with an everlasting love. You are well-pleasing in my sight because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. All my sins have been washed away. Though my sins, Isaiah was right, be as scarlet, they have been made white as wool. When God looks at me, he no longer sees the redness of my sin. He sees the whiteness of the righteousness of Christ. There's no condom. I'm free. The therefore that begins this verse 1, it's it's the result. It's an action taken by God. I'm no longer under that divine penalty, that that right condemnation. You see, God's provision has has touched my life. And so for those of us who have made that profession of faith, as crazy as it seems to the rest of the world, Jesus has been standing at the door of human hearts since he came to this earth saying, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. And make my home with you. If you will believe on my name, you will be saved. As crazy as that sounds to someone who doesn't know the Lord. As narrow as that way sounds. It's still true. It's mind-boggling. That's how free we are in Christ. That's why this is our new life. It is the declaration of freedom. He says, look, you guys have been made free. And he who the Son has made free is free indeed. Amen? Completely, totally. You're not kind of sort of free today and in slavery to sin tomorrow. You are free. The Greek word here uh, that is translated in English, condemnation, is katakrima. And, and what it really means, it only appears three times in all of Scripture. 
And when we think of condemnation, we normally focus on the verdict. In other words, the verdict is, I'm condemned. But the way this word actually reads in the, in the original language, it focuses on the penalty. It's not the verdict. The verdict is guilty. But the penalty is death. And so the focus here is, we should die for our sins. But we're not going to. It's this incredible truth. There's, there's no sentencing. There's no punishment. I, I'm never going to be tried for those sins. I'm never going to face even the, the thought of those sins. It's as if we've already been tried. We've been found guilty. Our guilt has been espunged, been paid for. And because just like in our law system, you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. You can't be tried for your sin twice either. You can't. You don't have to worry about extra evidence coming up. You don't have to worry about a reversal of the verdict. Amen? You ought to be really happy about this. Because there's lots of reasons to reverse the verdict. Isn't there? Any of you had a thought that you'd rather no one knew about recently? I drive down PCH every day. I have thoughts. You you see, we have to remember that. You can't, won't, shall never be tried for those crimes. Jesus was already tried for those crimes, and he was punished for those crimes, and he paid the price for those crimes, and you will never face those crimes. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You talk about freedom. You see, when a criminal goes to prison... Very often when they go to prison, they were only tried for what they got caught doing. But a lot of times, there was a few other things going on. But they got caught, maybe they got caught boosting somebody's stereo out of their car. And so they got caught for that. They got the cuffs on, they go in. And the judge says, well, I'm finding you guilty of, of larceny. You got to serve the penalty. And so they serve the time to get out. They're now on parole, right? You know what their fear is? They're looking over their shoulder going, that's not the only stereo I stole. And oh, by the way, there was a few other things. And you know what? I'm going to go smack that guy that got me caught. I'm going to assault him because he deserves it. See, that's the way our little fleshly brains work. Aren't you glad that the original crime, the ones that nobody knows about, and the ones that you're going to do tomorrow are completely taken care of? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No condemnation. 
lay hold of that. Now, that's not a license for you to do whatever you want. And we'll get to that in a moment. Because it says no condemnation. It does not say no conviction. Know the difference between those two words. Both as far as they are used in syntax in the English language, but also in what they mean as far as our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to condemn you. That's to bring up the penalty that you would have to pay and to say you might face that one day. The Holy Spirit won't do that. You know what the Holy Spirit will do? Remind you, you were already forgiven of that. What are you doing doing those things? The Holy Spirit's going to be right there going, you know what, you shouldn't be as a forgiven child of God dabbling in that trash anymore. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for that. That's not the way you should live your life. You see, you will face conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does two things in conviction. First, it convicts of sin, the things that are wrong. The Holy Spirit, being the third person of the Trinity, also convicts you of righteousness. In other words, how to live your life and what to do that's correct. So don't mix up those two words. And here's how you know the difference. When you're walking around, you feel like you're never going to get out from underneath the debt of sin, and you're pressed down and you cannot get right with God, and, and, and you get to that place where why even try because God's going to, he's not pleased with me anyway, that is condemnation. But if you're walking around and God's saying, you know, you really should get out of that relationship with that guy or that girl because you're living in sin, that is conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, look, you're a child of God. This is not how you should be living your life. But the Holy Spirit's not going, oh, yeah, and by the way, God's going to kill you. God's going to roast you tomorrow. Just simply convict you of the sin and the righteousness that backs it up. Look, the total eradication of your sin in this life, you're probably not going to experience the fullness of that while you're here. I pray you do. I pray I do. But you're going to be like all other people. The Holy Spirit convicting us, reminding us of thoughts and actions, those things that we have that are in our lives that are purposeful. You see, the Holy Spirit tells us, look, don't do that. The enemy says, you're dead. You're no longer dead. You're alive in Christ. Amen? The second freedom we have is from judgment. There's still no condemnation. You're not going to be judged for it. There are no conditions to meet. Look, Adam, because of him, we're condemned. But in Christ, there's no condemnation. So you were in Adam, you're now in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you have asked Jesus Christ in your life, you will never be condemned. Ever. Total freedom. We do fail. We do make mistakes. We do sin. The Bible is full of people who did the same thing. You don't have to go very far. You, you, can, you can go to the book of Genesis. You don't, you don't get out of chapter 3 of Genesis before, oops, issues. You get to Abraham, the father of faith. 
He's listed in Hebrews 11, amen? Those who were righteous by faith, listed there in Hebrews, the hall of faith. You know, it's like the, the giant wall, brass plaque. Abraham, father of the multitude. Through him, the entire world would be blessed. And lying scumbag. You see, the practical thing is, Abraham was a liar. He couldn't own his own stuff. Not really my wife. My sister. David, king of Israel, forebearer of Messiah, adulterous, murdering liar. You get it? Aren't you glad grace is that strong? Amen. Amen? Peter, I'll never deny you until this afternoon. (laughs) And oh, by the way, I know you told me not to, but I'm hacking off this dude's ear. Praise God for the grace of God. Now, if there were people to be condemned, I'm thinking, "Ah, Abraham, you didn't do so good. I called you out of the earth of Chaldees. I favored you. I brought you into Canaan. And you can't even tell the truth about your marital status. David, look, you should have been at war, but you're on the roof, and you're staring at Bathsheba, and your whole life falls apart. Yeah, I'm not going to put you in... Yeah, forget it. Peter. He walked on water. The dude walked on water. I'll never deny you. Well, you know, the little servant girl scared me. Praise God, there's no condemnation because there's reason to condemn all of us. I wouldn't have done any better and neither would you. Me and Peter would have been in there in the garden. Was, I mean, we'd have gone after the guys. I'd have had a sword on one side. He'd have had a sword on we'd have, we'd have killed somebody. Praise God that the Law is no longer going to be able to do that to us. You see, verse 2 reminds us the law can't claim you anymore. You've been freed from it. You've moved into a whole new sphere of life in Christ. You used to be bound by the law. You're no longer bound by the law. You're actually free in grace. Doesn't have jurisdiction over you. You're outside of the jurisdiction of the law in that sense. You live in a whole different place. You live in the grace place where the law is no longer effective in condemning you. Isn't that amazing? It's still a standard. It's God's moral standard. It tells us how to live righteous lives, but you're out from underneath the penalty of it. You're beyond its jurisdiction. It's the same thing that happens when you commit a crime here in the United States and you flee to another country, you have to be extradited back to face trial. Why? Because the laws are here. 
When you are in grace, you're outside of the jurisdiction with no one to extradite you because Jesus won't do it. You will forever stay outside of the jurisdiction of sin. Can't happen. The law can't do it. And also the law cannot control you because you're now found in Christ. You're able to live a, a life that you could have never lived. Sometimes we'll, we'll be wandering the hallways upstairs and we're talking and, and us pastors, you know, we've all, had, we've all had lives. We've all lived. Some of us, we, and we sit there and we're just like, man, can you remember? You remember what it was like? And it's not to brag about sin. It's like, praise the Lord that I am not like that anymore. I'm not what I'm fully going to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Don't forget that. That's the work of the Spirit sustaining you and changing you and transforming you and giving you a new mind. Behold, all things are passing away. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? That, that, that means you are a new type of creation. You're not just the old made-up you. You're actually righteous in Christ. You have the full righteousness of Christ cloaking you. You're kind of like a Klingon for God. You're like, no one can see your sin. You flipped the switch when you said yes to Jesus, and now, whoop, you disappeared from sin's view, as far as God's concerned. It's invisible. As far as the east is from the west, buried in the depths of the sea, your sins are so far gone that God can't see them. It's not that he couldn't get there if he wanted to, but because of Christ, he doesn't go there. You're outside of the jurisdiction. You're now living in Graceland, not Elvis's mansion, by the way. We won't go there. Some of us, Dean. I know what you were thinking right now. The result is sanctification. You become a saint. You live according to the Spirit now. Your past, present, your future sanctification. You were made righteous in Christ the moment you said yes to Jesus. You're being made more like him right now today. And ultimately, you're going to be as he is when you get to heaven. That's crazy. Because I don't know how you clean this up. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about just the body, which you're going to get a new one of those. How about your mind? How about your thoughts? How about the things that are deep in your emotion or your spirit? God is going to fully take care of everything and make you like him. Oh, my. You talk about freedom. Can you imagine no longer having those desires that are of the flesh? Can you imagine no longer yearning for things that you're not supposed to want? Can you imagine never having another, another covetous thought about someone else's car? I was driving down the road, and this dude passed me one of those new Teslas. He shouldn't have. That's mine. 
give that to me. It was only for a moment, but I'm like, you know, what, God? Come on. It was an awesome-looking car. And it doesn't burn any gas. Never, ever again. Instantaneously, when you get to heaven, gone. You see, we, we are indwelt, and thereby that spirit work in our life transforms the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, the way we understand. No, we're still struggling with the flesh. It pops up every once in a while, but the spirit's right there to say, you know what? That's not the way you should live your life. And furthermore, empowers you to actually heed that command. To turn from sin. To walk in his ways. To actually live out the fruit of the Spirit. Which is love. And joy. And peace. And righteousness. All the commandments of the Lord are righteous. Luke reminds us. Paul reminds us. Peter reminds us. Look, we're not supposed to walk after the counsel of the ungodly. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. We, we live our lives that way. There's no exceptions. That's what we do because of who we are. And praise God when we fail to live up to those standards. Because we do. There's still no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There'll be conviction because the Spirit's in you. But there won't be condemnation. It's not like all of a sudden, well, you know, we've got a new case opened up. Yeah, we got a, man, this latest brief that came in about your life. Whoo! Whoa. That too? not going to happen because of who you are in Christ because of what's happened to you by the power of the spirit covered however imperfectly you're walking in the spirit there in Galatians 5 you are still one of God's kids and the way you know that is you actually care when you do things and you know they're wrong That little voice inside of you is saying, I need to get right with Jesus. And you turn the direction of the Lord. There's no conviction going on. You need to concern yourself with that. But if you're convicted, if there's genuine repentance, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the fruit of being one of God's kids. What the Holy Spirit does in us can't not happen because you are indwelt. And it's through that that you have that desire. Ultimately, that's going to lead to you walking the walk. It's that simple. Now, when you think on that, again, remember, no condemnation. But as you're walking the walk, you know which road to go down. That little voice that's speaking to you, that would be the Holy Spirit. Because here's what God's Word says, and here's a road that goes this way. 
well, I kind of like it over there. But you're not supposed to go that way, Jeff. But I like it over there. But you're not supposed to go that way, Jeff. The Holy Spirit gets a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. And then your car blows up. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. You, you see, the Holy Spirit is able to convict of sin and of righteousness. The right way is over here. You, you'll walk the walk. As with salvation itself, walking in the Spirit comes from God's sovereign work in your life. Because you're a believer, you start thinking differently. You start acting differently. Now, it may not be in perfection from day one. I always share with people, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with someone who's lived a, a life of radical sin, you can rejoice that they're no longer, you know, in shooting up heroin. They were in ten relationships, they're down to three. Praise the Lord! Dead serious is a heart attack. The Holy Spirit's convicting. They're, they're working in the right direction. That's the Holy Spirit at work in their life. Now, you want it to be zero. That's the goal. The goal is to walk perfectly in the Spirit. And that's the direction we want to go. But you're not going to have God. Well, you know, I gave you a week. I mean, it, it is Thursday. Sorry, but the whole no condemnation thing, I'm taking that back. Because we give God reason to take it back. Amen? Think about it. That's what happens. Because we still do things we shouldn't do. But you will never, if you're truly a child of God, you will never, never, will God, sorry, didn't quite mean that. It won't happen. What ultimately happens is God's sovereign work in my heart, your heart, our hearts, also translates to our will being transformed, our direction being transformed, our lives being transformed, our thoughts being transformed, our very being being transformed by the Word of God. And when that happens, you begin to commune with your Heavenly Father. You're taught by the Holy Spirit. You'll produce spiritual fruit in your life. It may be only a couple of pieces, but there's got to be some. Some fruit pops up in every believer's life. Usually the first one is the fruit of repentance, by the way. That's usually the first fruit that we see. God, I'm sorry. I messed up. And I want to change. And so family, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that there is. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him beat you up. You walk in that freedom. And when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, you change direction. That's God being kind to you. That's God being nice to you. That's God being loving to you. That's God reminding you whose kid you actually are. That's God reminding you you're outside of the jurisdiction of the law. 
So why don't you act like it? But don't be condemned. Because that condemnation is not from God. It's from the enemy. You have a new nature in the power of the Spirit. You'll have a new desire. God's not going to compulsively push on you so that you do things His way. He's still going to give you freedom. You're still going to have choices to make. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. Worship team's going to come back up. I want to just simply invite you tonight. Maybe there's some here. You've been struggling with condemnation. You've been wandering around in fear. Maybe doubt has gripped you. You've actually questioned whether God is good whether he even loves you at all. And maybe for some of you, maybe, maybe there's someone here tonight, you've never received the grace of God. You don't know what it's like to walk in that freedom, but you want to. And so as we bow our heads, close our eyes, please. If you're here tonight, and, and you're saying, yes, I, I want that kind of freedom. I don't have that freedom right now but I want that freedom. And you would like to receive Christ. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand in the back as well. Any others? You don't know the Lord, but you want to know Jesus. Just slip your hand up. Just keep it up for just a moment. I see that hand as well. Praise the Lord. It's a decision that puts you into his kingdom. It's a decision that lifts the burden of that sin, the weight of that sin. Anyone else? For those that have just raised your hands, would you just simply pray with me? I see that hand as well. Quietness of your heart, would you just pray after me these words? You have to mean it with all your being, within your depths of your soul. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I've been pressed down under the weight of condemnation and fear and doubt. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to cleanse me and to free me from the penalty of that sin, which is death, both physically and eternally. I pray that you would take my name and write it in your Lamb's book of life. I realize, Jesus, you died on Calvary's cross for me. And I'm accepting the payment that was made for my life by you. I'm asking that you help me walk in your ways. Serve you all of my days. Indwell me with the Holy Spirit. Help my desires to be only for you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.